Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. All right, everybody. Welcome to another How We Solve episode. And today I have the pleasure of having Mike Cameron on. He's an American writer, speaker, philanthropist, ultramarathoner, which is crazy, and advocate against gender-based violence. Mike went from literally bagging shit to founding, building, and running an award-winning multi-million dollar business. As a sales and leadership authority, Mike has studied and spoken on the impact that emotion has on human behavior for more than two decades. He has worked with a variety of nonprofits and charities to pave the way for a non-violence free future, which is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm a big believer in non-violence as all. Well. I think even like words that we use or yelling. My father always said, if you have to yell, your argument is too weak. So I basically grew up in a completely violence free environment, which I'm very grateful for. Today, Mike has designed programs to assist men to tap into their emotions in a real and authentic way using his emotional reconnection practice. Mike co-founded the Ignore No More, Run for Respect to Help Engage Men and Boys in the Gender Equality Conversation. His keynotes addressing the impact of emotional intelligence having been heard all across North America in his TED Talk, which is titled The Way Men Think of Strong is Wrong, which I watched like a few hours ago, which is awesome. Urge society to help to redefine what it means to be a badass. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Let's redefine what it means to be a badass. Let's do it. It's great to be here, David. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We chatted, oh, it's a little while ago now. And so I've been quite eager to have this conversation. Maybe you can give people a little bit of background why this became like your passion topic and it's pretty intense background story. So maybe you should. You should, you should certainly not the way I kind of expected to come into this work. You know, all of us have these pivotal moments in life, these events that shape the path of the journey that we thought we were on. And for me, one of those pivotal moments was October 2nd of 2015. My girlfriend, Carissa, woke up at my place. She was a yoga instructor an artist, a photographer, a videographer, a painter, a potter, just an incredible human being. And Friday, October 2nd, 2015, she woke up at my place at about five o'clock in the morning, had to teach yoga at six and came around to my side of the bed to, to say goodbye, gave me a kiss. And I said, have fun at yoga. And out the door she went. And I rolled over, went back to sleep, got up around seven o'clock, shot her a text, said, hey, how was yoga? And ended up with no response. And Long story short, over the course of the morning, many attempts to connect with her. I was starting to feel a little bit like something's out of character here. Something's just not feeling right. And it was about lunchtime. I was walking into a restaurant with some clients and the hostess was about to seat us. My phone rang and I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And my heart kind of sank and I answered the phone and the voice on the other end of the line said, is this Mike Cameron? And I said, yes. And he says, this is Constable so-and-so. And I don't remember his name, but my heart just dropped. And I remember practically yelling into the phone. I said, is she okay? He says, where are you? And again, I practically screamed at the phone, is she okay? And he said, where are you? We're at your house. We're coming to you. 
So I told him where I was. I turned and I walked out of the restaurant. I don't think I said two words to my guests. And I waited at the curb outside for what seemed like an eternity, but was, was probably five or six minutes. My house wasn't very far away. And this unmarked police car pulls up across the street and I start walking across the street to meet him. And after identifying who I was, he looked me in the eye and he, he simply said three words that would ultimately change my life forever. He looked at me and he just said, Carissa is dead, shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. So that reshaped the, the path that I was on. Life was fantastic at the time until it wasn't on the module it's I'm not sure what to say or how to how somebody can stomach this how did you cope i didn't at first when i initially learned i mean it was just you know you want to use all the cliches like i felt like i was hit by a freight train but the reality was i went numb and i remember sitting in the back of that police car and and of course initially i didn't know what had happened other than she was gone they didn't tell me what happened. And I just remember sitting there going, this can't be real. This can't be real. This cannot be real. And that denial piece, and then eventually moving to acceptance and ultimately looking for ways that I could turn that pain into purpose. And for me, when I looked at where my skill sets were and where my areas of expertise and how I could contribute to a better world, I had lots of people that wanted me to go after the justice system. She'd done all the right things. She'd filed a restraining order. She'd filed all the complaints with the police. And there were so many places where the justice system dropped the ball. But when I looked at that, I thought, how do we build a better restraining order is really akin to putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. And I thought maybe the better question is, how do we prevent men from getting to this point in the first place? And when I looked at my career, like I said, I've studied the impact that emotion has on human behavior for 25 years, largely in the context of sales and leadership. And I've taught courses, I've taught programs on how do you sell more widgets by making a more, a better emotional connection with your customer? How do you be a better leader by understanding the emotions that drive your behaviors, also understanding the emotions that drive your team's behaviors. And so when I really looked at this event and I thought, this was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And so I started channeling my efforts into that realm and doing a lot of work. Ultimately, what that ends up becoming is, is mental health. We can talk about all the stats and I'm happy to do it that way, but it's funny because I kind of resisted the mental health moniker for a very long time because it seems to me like there's this resistance to talk about mental health that's changing today, but for a long time, it was definitely not something people wanted to talk about from a business perspective. I don't know that there was perceived value in investing in the mental health of our staff, our employees, our teams. Again, that's changing now, thankfully. But I really resisted calling it mental health. And it wasn't until the last couple of years where I had people invite me out to come talk about mental health. 
how did you call it before, before you called mental health? Just connecting emotions or? Yeah, again, on the emotional intelligence front, when we look at mental health, the statistics in Canada, half a million Canadians every week miss work because of some type of mental illness. 30% of all disability claims are mental health related. 70% of all mental health costs are disability costs are mental health related. When we look at those statistics, it's mind blowing. But the reality for me is I don't give a shit about statistics. That one statistic is the one that really matters. I can't help but wonder what might've happened if somebody in his workplace had said, Hey man, how are you doing? Like, really, are you okay? And what might've happened if he'd had the resources? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't have changed the outcome, but maybe it would have. Maybe it would have. One thing that we're doing or that I'm doing in my one-on-ones, I always have the check-in questions, but I always ask, what's going really great right now? What's draining you? And how do you rate yourself from zero to 10? And what's draining you thing, you know, it's like always open-ended, like can be family or can be anything, you know, kind of like having this open connection with people that you work with, I think is, is super important and often stuff comes out and you're just like having somebody you can talk about this. But first of all, thank you very much for sharing this and being so open and vulnerable. And also thank you for not going into the victim position, but like more into going out and doing something about this and channeling your energy in, in terms of causing change, which is super neat and super awesome. Thank you very much for this. I appreciate it. And that for me was a big part of it. I can't remember if we talked about this. It was the day after Carissa was killed. A friend of mine sent me Ramdas's letter to Rachel. And that 100% changed my life. And for your listeners, if you're not familiar with it, it's worth a read. It's maybe five paragraphs. It's not very long. Rachel was a young girl that had been murdered. And Ramdas wrote a letter to her parents. And there were three big pieces that I took out of that letter. And the first one was, is anyone strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And when I read that, David, like I just, I knew that I had an obligation to remain conscious through the teachings that I was receiving. And the second part of that was our rational minds will never understand, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. You can imagine, I I can't tell you how many times I said, why, 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 why? There's no rational answer for that, accepting our hearts if we keep them open. And then that last piece was maybe the most powerful He said, now is the time to let your grief find expression. No false strength. Wow. Yes. Very timely. Yeah. I've probably read that letter 250 times in the last six years. We just had Saturday was the anniversary of her death. I spent some time out in the mountains, which is what I I tend to do. You happy place? Reflecting. But to your point, as horrible as this was, as terrible as this, is I can't change what happened, but I can change what happens. Yes. I think the serenity prayer is really good with this. God give me the strength to accept things I cannot change, the power to change things I can't change, and the wisdom to know which one's which. And butcher this, but this is kind of like the idea about it. And 
because you accept it that it is what it is. You can't change the fact that she's gone, but you can change the future outcome of scenarios like this, right? Then this is what kind of send you on your mission, I guess. It really did. I thought there's so many different directions. I could have thrown myself into work. I had a thriving business. I certainly could have gone that way. I could have jumped into a bottle. I could have, you know, there's all kinds of different directions I could have gone. But for me, it was about how do I best honor her and the lessons that we learned together because we did a lot of self-exploration. A friend of mine gave a talk at Postmaster, some public speaking training thingy. And he said, we all have to go through fire. We all have to go through the, the tough times in life. It just happens to us and we have to decide if we are wood and we burn down to ashes or if we're precious metal and we just get refined and get better from these experiences, even if they're horrible. You definitely took the precious metal route and doing something about it. So how can we impact this in the workplace or just in general that, you know, kind of, I guess, make men more vulnerable and just, you know, that, that these things will not come up again or how do you make this happen? Because I know podcast is always about how can we have actual insights that people can implement. One of the things that I did shortly after was I created an organization called Connected Men. And that was geared around creating a safe space for guys to practice their emotional fitness. And one of the reasons I resisted talking about mental health is because I think we tend to think of mental health as binary. We're either mentally ill or we're not. And the reality is it, it's a spectrum. And on any given day, we're at different points in the spectrum. When it comes to physical fitness, I think, and especially as guys, if we want to get physically fit, we need to go to the gym a couple of times a week. We need to lift weights. We need to exercise. We need to do something on a regular basis. We also know that it's a continuum. If I work out hard for three years and I get super fit, as soon as I stop working out again, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to lose all that fitness. So when it comes to our emotional fitness, and especially for guys, what do we do about that? And the answer for most of us is nothing. We don't do anything. So I wanted to create a gym for men and their emotional fitness. And I think women, generally speaking, are a little more adept at opening up to their friends Whereas guys, like, we don't do that. We're happy to talk about our favorite beer. We're happy to talk about the hockey game. But heaven forbid we actually open up and share something real and raw and vulnerable. I created this organization where we will host men's groups literally with the intention of practicing feeling. We practice vulnerability. And the framework that we use is the acronym SOAR. I teach men to soar. That's to slow down, to open up, to accept that we've talked about so that you can reconnect with that deepest part of self. And for me, it was interesting because it started as a framework for my men's groups. And what I've recognized is that it holds equally true in business. So when I'm doing business meetings or leading meetings now, I still use that framework. So the slow down piece, and it sounds like you do as well to some extent. So I will often, again, depending on the context, depending on the audience, but I will often start my meetings if I'm leading with a slowdown. So again, depending on the context, 
I run some coaching groups. So my coaching groups, we will do a five-minute meditation to start. If I'm in a business context, I will take 60 seconds and I'll just say, hey, let's just, let's just pause. I want everybody to get grounded, get centered. Let's let go of all the bullshit that's going on outside these walls. And let's just get present right here, right now. And so I can do that even in a boardroom. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all humans, even if it's in a business setting. It doesn't, doesn't really matter, right? Same rules apply. But we don't often think about that, or at least I didn't. The first time I started doing that, it felt awkward. It felt, this is not what a business leader should be doing. I should be dictating what we do and how we do it. And the more I looked at that, the more I recognized that's just not the way things should be. That open up again, even in a business meeting going around the room, doing that check-in. So I will often do, I'll ask for two words. Give me two feeling words. What's coming up for you right now? And we'll just go around the room and it doesn't have to be long. So maybe it's stressed, tired. So if somebody told, you know, if those are the two words that you use, it gives me a little bit of an indication as to where you're at today and how you might respond to some of the things that we need to deal with. And then that acceptance piece, just accepting that, you know what, maybe David's tired and stressed today and that's okay and then reconnecting back with whatever the purpose is in a business context maybe the purpose of our meeting is to do x y and z once we slow down we open up we accept that we can reconnect with our purpose of whatever this meeting is as the chair i can always bring that back to the purpose i can always reconnect so that we don't get off the rails because obviously if you're meeting, there's a reason for the meeting and you need to be productive. What we do in our meetings, we always do good news and gratitude around the room. So everybody like shares good news can be ideally work related, but also can be family related. And then like some gratitude aspect, because I think if you're full of gratitude then all the problems fall away, you know, all the pressure falls away. So if you're really full of gratitude, so we can incorporate this into all of our meetings. Once we start, it's like kind of just five minutes around the room. Yeah, that's very powerful. That's very powerful. And it's interesting. I've got a, a partner that's had a couple of different bosses in the last year. She's moved positions. Same organization, but two drastically different leadership styles. And one was very dictate, 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 which caused an inordinate amount of stress on everybody around them. And then in her new role now, she was blown away. Like she phoned me after her first team meeting and she said, oh my God, you would love her. So she started off with 10 minutes of doing the check-in. And again, I teach this stuff. I practice this stuff, but watching somebody actually go through it. And, and this is somebody that hears it on a daily basis because I talk about it all the time. But for her to actually experience the difference from A to B was amazing. I couldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And from a productivity standpoint, as an employee, wh when are you going to be more motivated to get things done for your employer when they care? Yep. 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 Our first core value in all of our businesses is people first. Our team members and our customers are our number one priority. But also people can hold us accountable in case we ever do something that's not people first. And then fun and harmony is another one. Of course, the idea is we spend a large chunk of our life at work. And if there's something that's disturbs harmony in a massive way and is not fun. If there's a coworker that's an asshole or if there's a customer who's an asshole, then, you know, we talk to them and if they don't change this behavior, then they're gone. Even a big customer 
small customer, important employee or not, doesn't matter. It's about fun harmony. I love that a lot. Yeah, getting clear on the values. And again, coming back to takeaways, what can you do as an organization? I think that's a, a key one is starting with values. So I moved away from goal setting in the traditional sense, probably a decade or so ago. And instead I said values, I said intentions, and I said milestones. So milestones are obviously, those are the goals, the, the points along the way, but those are secondary to your point, values first, because if you've got a customer that maybe pays, generates a lot of revenue, but they're not in alignment with your values, you got to cut them out. So when you put values first, the milestones are secondary and, and they will ultimately come. And the intentions, again, from a personal perspective is how I want to show up in this world. What are my intentions? Yeah, I go so far that I even have like my personal core values and my personal mission, vision, and, you know, kind of like leading my life like I would lead a business because it's kind of, kind of the same thing. Values you want to stick to or that you, you're just striving towards achieving and then, you know, it's always good to remind yourself. That's a really good point, the, the personal and the business. And I talk a lot about, so one of the pieces I wrote a while back was called balance is bullshit. We always talk about this work-life balance, but I don't think balance is really achievable. I look for integration. So how do we connect all aspects of our life? Because trying to think that we can measure each little component and get exactly the right proportion of work, of home, of all these things, it's just, it's not realistic. It's a tug of war if you do a work-life balance versus having it integrated and then it works. You know, for example, I, sometimes my wife and my daughter, we go to the beach and my wife and my daughter just are in the water and at the sand. I'm like at a cafe, like a few meters close to and I work. And then when I have half an hour time, then I go and swim with them and I come back and continue working. You know, so there's always ways how you can, can integrate it. Yeah, I love that because, yeah, it's just not realistic to think that at five o'clock when you go home that you can just leave all the troubles of work at work. and Conversely, at 9 a.m. when you walk through that work door, it's not feasible that if you're having troubles at home, that you can just cut that out. It just doesn't work that way. Talking about coming back to men, like the specific struggles of men and kind of how do you make them more opening up or, you know, kind of preventing what, what do you think is the key things to making this happen? The key thing is really to create the space. And that comes with, you know, in, sorry, I forget the author's name now, the culture code. He talks about safety, vulnerability, and purpose. So creating that psychological safety in the workplace, creating space where you can allow yourself to feel, where you can express emotions. Obviously, there's constraints around that. There are things that are acceptable and not acceptable, but creating that space where men are allowed to feel. I've given uh, that redefining badass keynote all over North America. And, and without fail, I have people come up to me, men come up to me afterwards. And there's a universal truth. Men everywhere are literally dying for somebody to give them permission to feel. If you look at the suicide rates, men are three times more likely to take their own life than women. Finding that way to reconnect emotionally with self is huge. The reason I'm passionate about teaching men that art of emotional reconnection is because emotionally connected men don't friggin' kill people. Emotionally connected men don't kill themselves. 
Emotionally connected men make better leaders. They make better fathers. They make better partners. Again, if we look at statistics, and I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but the vast majority of violence is perpetrated by men. The vast majority of suicides are men. There's something to this. There's a reason for this. And I really believe that emotional disconnection is the number one threat facing humanity today. Do you have any resource you can recommend, like books, courses, programming? Like somebody who said, okay, this is kind of me. I've brought up with the rah-rah, whatever, salesman mentality, whatever it is. Like, I'm, I'm this badass guy, can't show tears, etc. There's my book, Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Any of the emotional intelligence stuff. So Daniel Goleman, Travis Bradbury, they've got some fabulous books on there. Can you give us top three of books? And Sam, could you drop them in and also... I think Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is a great one. And again, depending on your industry, I'm just revisiting Jeb Blount's Sales EQ. So it's Emotional Intelligence in Sales, which talks a lot about this. So again, I think it's a lot of that is the understanding the why behind it. Like, why should we care? So if you don't care because you don't think mental health is an issue for you, there's lots of other reasons from a leadership perspective that we should care. From a resource perspective, in Canada, we have CAMH, the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. And they've got, I think it's called the Workplace Playbook. So they actually have some very concrete, here's some things you can do in the workplace. It's a Canadian resource, but obviously the principles are going to be, as you said, we're all human beings, whether we're in Turkey or we're in Edmonton or Colorado or wherever we are. Even if we're German, we have to reconnect with, the, with our emotions. <laughs> in terms of sales, I don't know if we talked about this before, but I definitely talked about this in the podcast before. I'm a recovering introvert. I used to be super introverted and I hated sales with a passion. It was like the last thing I ever wanted to do because I always felt like I'm shoving something down somebody's throat, like used car salesman style. And I you know, always felt really bad about this. And I did Toastmasters, public speaking training, and I did I went to two networking events per week to kind of overcome this shyness because I you know, was holding me back in business. And then I got better at it, but it still was like, eh. And then my yoga teacher said, every decision in life, you either make it out of love or out of fear. And if you make it out of love, you're in the right path. If you make it out of fear, you're on, on the wrong path. And this was something really resonated with me because I always knew deep down inside, but I could not articulate it now that she gave me this framework. I applied it to everything. Let's, let's say it's applied to sales. And let's say this product here is a really good product. And I know this is going to help you in your life and your business. Then I can even be a pushy salesman and say, dude, freaking buy this. It's going to be really good for you. Versus if I, and then I'm selling out of love because I want to enrich your life. Versus if I sell out of fear, I only sell because I have to hit my quota or I have to pay my mortgage, et cetera. And if I do this, then I can't sell for the life of me. And also you will feel where I'm coming from. And yeah, this is the big eye opener for me. And it's similar to what you said, I guess, connecting with the right thing. If you act out of love, versus fear. I think this can kind of like in, in all aspects of life will set you on the right path. For the research geeks out there, Antonio Damasio is a guy worth looking up to. So he talks about the fact that as human beings, we make decisions based on emotion. In sales, we always talk about we buy on emotion justified by logic, but it's deeper than that. We make decisions based on emotion. Emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. So understanding the emotion that drives the behavior. So to your point, if fear is what's driving this, that's a problem. If you can flip that, 
to love being the driver. And I love how you said that because you can be that pushy salesman. I just had a conversation last week with a fellow that's been following me for probably 10 years, at least nine years. And well, he's just selling something like, like a, a vacuum uh, salesman knocking at your yeah, door. No, no, no. <laughs> this, so this guy was, he was in the industry of the business that I used to run that I sold the business in 2019. So he's been aware of me for a decade. He's on my email newsletter. So he reached out and said, Hey, I'd like to chat. So we had a great conversation and I recognized immediately that some one-on-one -on -one coaching with him, he's got all the resources, like he's got the charisma, he's got the knowledge, he's got all the skills. He just is having a hard time putting it together. I said to him, to your point about the being pushy, I recognized immediately that if he hires me one-on-one, -on -one, like we're going to go from here to here very quickly. So I said, dude, this isn't even a question. Like I'm just not taking no for an answer. I'm going to hang up the phone and I'm going to send you the contract because I can help you. Like I can help you. And there's just no question in my mind. And it is, it's coming from a place of love because I see him, I see him stuck and I know that I can get him out of that stuck. So to your point, if I was operating out of fear, it'd be like, oh yeah, well, you know, let me send you a little bit of information on this and then get back to me when you decide. And the reality is, even if you really wanted to, he probably wouldn't make that decision. Yeah. Now I actually enjoy being a pushy salesman when I'm in similar situations, you know, like, also on the other hand, if something's not for somebody, for example, at, at Max again, my last business, if somebody, when I give people, for example, we are weak in Australia in terms of our network. And I always told people like, hey, if Australia is like a big thing for you, don't go with us or mix us with another one. This also breeds a lot of trust with people because they see that you actually really care about their outcome and you do it for them and not just to make a quick buck. It's always yes. a long game. Even if they don't go with us, they'll like speak very favorably of you with others. I think we need to reframe that pushy salesman to loving salesman. No, you can still be pushy and just have your, yes. I got to make money agenda. I guess this still works, but yes, I, I like the loving, loving salesperson. Also, Mike, I really enjoyed this. Do you have anything else you want to share or you want to pitch with, with the audience? No, I mean, if anybody's interested in having a look at who I am and what I do a little deeper, it's mikecameron.ca. If anybody's interested in the coaching piece, again, to our conversation on selling, I don't sell what I do. I demonstrate what I do. So if you want to experience what I do, then let's spend some time together. We'll, you'll experience it. And at the end of it, that's my conversation is going to be, was that valuable? And if the answer is yes, then the next question is, would you like to continue? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then I will send you a contract. You can go to mikeherman.ca slash coaching session. Awesome, Mike. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for being so open. Thank you very much for doing what you're doing. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. 
dominate your market, and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.